This week. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, and instead, judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. And Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, When the Messiah comes... Will he perform more signs than this man? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, we've been moving through John slowly. And um, we're in this... John 7, and this is the story of Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, or some Bibles call it the Feast of Booths. And that was a feast that happened in Jerusalem every year. It was one of the three times that uh, everybody was supposed to go to Jerusalem to celebrate, participate in these feasts. Uh, Passover, Pentecost, and this Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths. It was actually the biggest celebration of the year uh, for Jewish people at this time. 
we think about our own holidays uh, as Christians, Easter is kind of the most important. That's when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. That's like the big thing, right? But actually, Christmas, culturally, is our biggest celebration. It's when all the decorations come out. It's when we all get excited. It's when, you know, uh, coffee cups at drive through places turn red. You know, it's like a big, Christmas is a big deal. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was like. It was a huge deal, Second Temple Judaism. Part of it is because uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the whole point was to celebrate God's provision for the people when they were doing that 40 years in the wilderness with Moses. So um, they remembered that. They told those stories. Maybe one reason why Jesus bringing up Moses in the story. But the way that they did it um, was really exciting. And I'm sure it was very fun for lots of people. Maybe this is why it was such a big deal. Um, people would build tabernacles or booths, uh, little shelters uh, on the roof, out in the front yard, any place in the city where they can find a place. They would set up camp. And for a whole week, Nobody slept inside their house. Everybody camped outside, uh, in the yard, on the roof, on the street. So everyone in the whole city had this big camp out. If you've ever built a fort in the living room, or if you've ever gone camping, uh, or you've ever slept in a tent in the backyard, uh, try to imagine those feelings. Now make it a huge deal where everyone's doing it, and it's the biggest feast of the year. That's the vibe in Jerusalem right now. It says that everybody in Jerusalem was talking about him. They were murmuring about him, even before he showed up. Remember we, last week we talked about why he went to the festival in secret? He hid his identity. I always imagine this Jesus just like put up his hood like in the, like in the movies. And that means nobody can recognize like a Jedi, you know. Uh, we don't know how he went in secret, but he did. And he's walking around the city and people are murmuring about him. If you remember when we studied John 5, the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, he caused a huge stir. He had healed a guy, and it happened to be the Sabbath. And that really made uh, the religious leaders angry. They thought Jesus was a Sabbath breaker, and then when he challenged them about that, and when the man who had been healed, he challenged them, it caused this huge ruckus. That was the last time Jesus was in town, and now he comes back. And it's clear that the people remember it. And the religious leaders that, in our Bible, sometimes it's just, it says the Jews. And we need to be careful there. Like when John's gospel, it says the Jews. That doesn't mean all Jewish people everywhere. Really, the word is the Judeans, the religious establishment in Judea. Uh, the Judeans uh, were still mad. They were still out for Jesus. And if you remember uh, a while back, uh, the Judeans had started plotting to try to kill Jesus. And here, they're still plotting. So Jesus shows up. He's undercover. Jedi hood is up. He's walking around. And what does he do? He goes probably to the worst place he could go if he wanted to hide, which tells us he goes to the temple, which tells us he's done hiding. He's ready to speak. And he goes to the temple, and he gets up, and he starts teaching. Now, that's where uh, uh, that's the normal place where rabbis would teach. The temple, if you've ever seen a picture of it, diagram of it, had these giant courtyards. And I imagine Jesus is at the courtyard, at least in my imagination, he uncloaks. 
people gather around, and maybe he stood up on a box or something. I don't know, but he starts teaching the people. And this is uh, where our story uh, picks up with him. Now, since the beginning of John's gospel, from the prologue, John has introduced us to Jesus and described Jesus as a confrontational figure. We might tend to think of Jesus, the gentle, lowly, um, kind-hearted, beautiful person that he is. We might only see those good shepherd, gentle and lowly, uh, safe, wonderful person images when we think about Jesus in his gospel ministry. But we read John, and he wasn't just those things. For a lot of people, he was scary. For a lot of people, he was a challenge. For a lot of people, he was a nuisance. And here in this story, we see something of Jesus as a challenger. We see something of Jesus as a confrontational figure. Now, as we've been reading John's gospel, we should be prepared for this. We start out in the prologue. John tells us that Jesus is the light <coughs> He's the light and life of God, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Think about that image of my irresponsible 20-year-old self with a flashlight in the shed. That's Jesus. He's shining the light. He's confrontational. Uh, in John 3, the passage we read earlier, says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but he comes as a light, and that shows that we are condemned already. Confrontational. Uh, we saw in John 6, Jesus teaches this beautiful sermon about how he's the bread of life. And what happens? Tons of people get offended and they leave. Confrontational. Uh, when he was talking to his brothers, we saw last week, he said he testifies that the world's works are evil, so the world hates him. How does he testify? We haven't seen Jesus once in this gospel talking about the great sins of the Gentiles or the people out there and railing against. No, we, we've just seen him being himself in front of God's people. Yet again, that's been confrontational. So in our passage today, we see Jesus as a confrontational figure, as light shining in darkness, and we're the ones in darkness. We see him as a challenger. That's important. And this challenge is not just for well, the challenge is for everyone, but who are the people we see challenged by him in the story, mostly? Well, it's the religious leaders. It's the people there in Jerusalem for the feast. It's the people of God. It's us. <clears throat> Maybe some of us grew up in churches or in religious environments where the kinds of sermons we heard, the kinds of lessons that we learned, uh, majored on how people out there need to repent of their sins. How the culture's gone bad. How the world is just hell in a handbasket. And that was the primary theme. Well, when we read this gospel, we listen to the teachings of Jesus, what is his primary theme? It's not mostly about the people out there. It's mostly about the people in here. It's about the people of God. It's about us. Jesus is a challenge. Okay. Jesus is a challenge. How do we see him uh, 
being a challenge specifically in this passage. If he's the light, where is he wielding his light in this passage? Where is he pointing that flashlight of righteousness? Well, it's to the people of God there in the temple. But I think, and I see here, he's pointing out something specific, a specific kind of darkness that they're wrestling with. Jesus is challenging them in a specific way. What is it? Well, I see in this passage Jesus challenging the comfort zones of the people of God. And in turn, I see Jesus challenging our comfort zones in this passage. Each of us has a set of familiar expectations and preferences about the way we live our life. We like this, we don't like this. We prefer this, we don't prefer this. And that's even true in our spiritual lives. And when we, if we would all stop and imagine what the best possibility for our religious and spiritual practice might be, we can imagine what life would be like if we were just rocking it in our relationship with God. And I think most of us would probably imagine what that would be like according to our own comfort zones and preferences. When I was a kid, uh, for a brief period of time, we lived in Tulsa. Hey, Oklahoma. We lived in Tulsa, and my grandparents lived in Tulsa. And so by the, t the time we lived there, um, we went to this big church downtown, and my grandparents went to this little church uh, just outside of town. But my grandparents took a break from their church to come to church with us for a while. That was really special because me and my brother got to ride you know, Grandpa's big red Buick every Sunday to church. And it was exciting. So we'd go to church, and very often we'd, they'd want to go out to eat afterwards. And every Sunday we'd say, well, where are we going to eat? And almost every week my grandpa would say, how about Ryan's? Ryan's Steakhouse. You guys know Ryan's Steakhouse? If it wasn't Ryan's, it was his other favorite place, Golden Corral. If it wasn't Golden Corral, it was his other favorite place, Piccadilly. Now, what do all of these places have in common? They're all buffet-style, cafeteria-style restaurants. You show up, you pay up front, and then you go through and you get to choose which meat you want, because obviously everybody eats meat, right? Which meat you want, uh, and some of it was out. Other times they had somebody with a tall chef's hat just slicing off roast beef, and you tell me when to stop. <laughs> you pick your meat, and then you get to pick three vegetables. And by the way, things like macaroni and cheese are included in vegetables in these restaurants. So you get to pick your vegetables every week uh, and then after you eat you can go and you can take your pick of soft serve ice cream there was chocolate there's vanilla and then there's chocolate and vanilla mixed together why did grandpa always wanted to go always want to go to these three restaurants well because they were familiar he knew exactly what to expect you paid up front no surprises and because it was sort of a choose your own adventure Every got, everybody got to eat what they wanted. There was no arguments. He got to have as much roast beef as he wanted. Everything was done according to his preferences and our preferences. Now, as we approach life with God, each of us individually, as we think about our relationship with God, what we want our church to be like, we tend to be more like Grandpa at Ryan's Steakhouse than we think. We want it to be, happen according to our expectations. We don't want to be surprised. 
We want, we want to get exactly what we want out of church, out of our prayer life, out of our good works. We have a vision. And yours might be a little different, but hey, we're going after this, and this is what the good life before God is like. It's like this experience that I can curate myself in a way that I'm comfortable. We do this. Well, Jesus shows up, and he challenges this. That's what he's doing here. Look at verse 14 and 15. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews, that's the Judeans, by the way, the religious establishment, were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Uh, okay, so Jesus goes out and he starts teaching, and then the Judeans religious establishment, the leaders, they say, how did this guy learn so much without being taught? That's important. Um, during this time, uh, not anybody got to teach in the temple courts. During this time in, in Jewish history, this is the beginning of, well, this is Second Temple Judaism, and the, the system here was right at the beginning of what would later come to be called rabbinical Judaism. Now, the reason that's important is because uh, at this time in the Jewish world, uh, teaching was administered by accredited rabbis. Um, that was how, during the exile, when, during the diaspora, when they were spread all over, the, went to Babylon and Assyria and all over the world, they went to synagogues, and rabbis would teach them. And even here in Jerusalem, it was a rabbi-based system. That's more like our local church system uh, than, than, than we might know. Rabbis were like pastors. Everyone here, you know, we go to this church, and people over there go to this church. Which rabbi do you follow? But during this time, uh, rabbinical credentials were extremely important. And the way rabbinical credentials were handled was uh, each rabbi would come from a particular rabbinical school, and it was an apprentice system. So this rabbi, we know that he's trustworthy because he apprenticed under this other rabbi, and they're trustworthy because they come from the school of this famous rabbi, and we can trace the apprenticeship all the way down to the person we're learning from. It was an apprentice system. Now Jesus was a rabbi. That's what he did. When Jesus walked around and he taught on hillsides and he had disciples, we've been talking about this, he was running a rabbinical school. He had 12 officially enrolled students. And then he had this wider group of people who followed along and participated. Uh, men and women and children all in his group. Jesus was a rabbi. But was Jesus trained according to the apprenticeship of the time? No. Did he train under another famous rabbi? No. Where did he come from? Well, he came from God. He teaches straight from God. This made the people uncomfortable. This made the Judean leaders who had their credentials, who had their predictable system, this challenged them. Jesus, just by showing up and teaching in this way, he was challenging their comfort zone with their spirit, with their religious system. 
Do you see that? He didn't go out into the streets, at least not in this story, and teach as if he was sort of a, you know, a, a John the Baptist type one-off prophet. No, he went to the temple and taught as an accredited rabbi. First question, where's this guy come from? Who taught him? He wasn't trained in our school. Where is this coming from? And how does Jesus answer them? He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes straight from the one who sent me. He claims divine authority. He says his teaching comes directly from God. It transcends their system. These people over the generations. By the way, when I say these people, I really mean us. Because this is our spiritual heritage. For generations, they had formed a cultural system by which they were able to navigate and discern who they should listen to, who they shouldn't listen to. They had a system of checks and balances. They had a preconceived idea of what it would mean to go to church. And Jesus shows up and just, he transcends it, but he works closely enough with it to where the people would be challenged. You see that? He's challenging the comfort zone. And then he challenged their comfort not just with their system, he challenged their, their comfort with their own judgment. He challenged their spiritual pride. It says, uh, look at verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Okay, he's accusing all of them of being lawbreakers. That's confrontational. Why are you trying to kill me? calling out their secret plan that's confrontational how do they respond they, 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 they respond how I respond when somebody challenges my comfort zone they snap back at them you're demon possessed that's quite an accusation who's trying to kill you it's basically calling him a liar and then Jesus recalls the story of when he healed that guy when this whole conflict started I did one miracle you're all amazed Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, actually it didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances. Instead, judge correctly. Jesus is showing them that even in their best efforts to keep the law, to be strict about Sabbath keeping, even in their best efforts, they can't keep the law themselves. They can't keep God's will straight. They're bound to sin. Even when they try to do the right thing, they're doing it wrong. And even when they try to execute their best judgment, they're being shallow. They don't see the world as it is. They judge by appearances, not by the real thing. Jesus shows up out of nowhere. He's not from their school. He doesn't bow to their pride. He doesn't work within their system, within their boundaries. Yet he's close enough to it where all of his actions and his words are a direct challenge to the comfort zones of their system and of their own judgment of their pride. It's interesting that John, it says that Jesus went and taught in the temple. Nowhere in the story does John give us the main body of Jesus' teaching. Thus far, he's done that. 
when Jesus taught about the bread of life. He gave us the whole discourse. When Jesus taught last time he was in Jerusalem, when he healed the guy, and he's we get the teaching. We get Jesus' explanation. When Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, we get the content of what he teaches her about living water. Here, we don't get that. It says that he was teaching, and then John picks up the story with the people's questions and objections. We get the Q&A afterwards, but not the main body. Why would he do that? Well, because he wants us to see the confrontation happening. He wants us to see the nature of the way Jesus comes to us and interacts with us, us being religious people. He wants us to see the conflict and feel the tension. He wants us to know that we are not really going to hear Jesus, experience Jesus, or recognize Jesus for who he is unless we are willing to be rattled out of our comfort zones. That's he, what he wants us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus is not bound by our traditions, even though sometimes he works within them. He wants us to know Jesus does not bow to our preferences, even though sometimes he works within them. He wants us to know Jesus was not trained in our schools. We have today in our culture an agree or disagree system of cultural discernment. This is how we operate today in the West. You see something on social media, you like it, or you pass by it. A song comes up on your Spotify, you hit plus or minus. If you hit plus, it'll come up again later. If you hit minus, it'll never come up again. How do people date today? They scroll through and they hit, eh, I like it or I don't like it. How do we do uh, get our news? Oh, I like this channel or this newspaper or this app, but I don't like this one. I don't agree with it. We have to agree or disagree. And we navigate the world based on voting yes or no at every interaction. Jesus doesn't operate that way. He comes into our life. He shows himself to us in ways that we understand. Jesus did go to the temple as a rabbi. But then when we listen and when we watch, we will be offended over and over over again. Why is that? Because he's the light that shines in the darkness. And darkness can't overcome it. And where is that darkness lurk lurking? Very often in the dark corners of our own comfort zones. Because in our comfort zones lurks spiritual pride. This idea that we know best, that we are the judges, that we can look out at reality and discern what's good and bad, What's right and wrong? What does the world need? What do I need? We go through reality like it's a buffet. Jesus shows up, and he doesn't play that game. He comes from the Father. In his essence, he is ultimate reality. He's God's word. God brought creation into existence by his word. That's who Jesus is. It's not that he comes to us with a different perspective on things. He is the perspective on things. 
It's not that he comes to us with a different idea. He is the idea. He is the very essence of what's true. He comes from the Father. He speaks the Father's words. He brings God's truth to us. We don't need to climb some spiritual ladder of enlightenment. You don't need to mentor under just the right person who mentored under just the right other person. No. He speaks to us. He comes to us in ways that we understand. And he brings us into true relationship with himself, which is true relationship with the Father. Because Jesus is the spirit-anointed human being. He's the God-human. That's what Jesus does. Now, why is all this so important? Well, it's important because if you're walking with God, or if you're thinking about walking with God, or if you've just heard about Jesus for the first time today, if any of these things are true, then God is taking you through a process of being offended and challenged over and over again by Jesus. If you open this, if you pray, then you're experiencing in one way or another God's challenge. So how, are we gonna, how do we respond? Where is God challenging you in your life? Sure, each one of us has a place where we're encountering difficulty, where our ideas aren't working. Some of us, when we pray, we're experiencing God in ways that maybe we don't prefer. Our church right now is in the middle of a challenge. We often think of challenges as obstacles to the good life. Well, God's kingdom, they're means of grace. Very often, Jesus is the one behind the challenge, making it happen. So, oh, and by the way, Jesus comes to us as God's word, God's life, and God's light shines in our hearts. We can't forget the fact that the culmination of Jesus' ministry, the big he's the word of God, the, the point where he where God speaks the loudest, most audibly through him, through Jesus, is a cross. The biggest challenge of all time. Death. That's important. Jesus is not just the one who challenges us. He's been through the heart of the challenge himself, and he carries us through it. So we're challenged by him. We can hit unlike, and we can be offended, and we can push back like many of the people in this story. Or like others in this story, we can say, no, I believe. So where is he challenging you today? How are you going to respond?